You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly, with humility and gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You have one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism and one God who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permitted with oneness, but that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Hello, Mom. It's good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome, if you're a guest. Thanks for coming. Um, so, and, and a special hello to our friends at our campuses at Edgewood and Bel Air here at Mountain Road as we kind of uh, move forward in our second week in this series called uh, Under Our Skin. Uh, you know, several years ago, um, the leaders at the church encouraged me to take some time away sometime. I usually do that in the summer. Uh, just to go and recharge the batteries and uh, been able to do that, attended a conference in California and then uh, spoke for uh, a week in Minnesota at a, um, uh, a camp that means so much to our family uh, for a 75th anniversary of this camp that our families had so much to do with. So it was a week just surrounded by old friends and people that have poured into my life. That was very enriching. And then some time on vacation uh, with the family to reconnect. We push pretty hard around here and it's good to get reacquainted with my wife and kids and uh, uh, on vacation in, in the summer. And then some time just to step away and listen to God and read a little bit and uh, plan and prepare and get ready for coming back to be with you all where I am now and glad to do that and uh, it's, it's good to be home um, and because I wouldn't want to, to be in Minnesota anymore where it's about 78 degrees and dry and breezy and you can jump in the lake because 109 degrees uh, melted my face off and I'm so glad to be home. So yeah, that, that's the thing. A lot of you have heard about my time at the cabin and, and this place that means so much to our family. Um, well, we have a lot of, we're right on the water and, and we, uh, we have uh, water toys. My brother has power toys, like speedboats. We do a lot of water skiing as a jet ski. We have manual operated toys uh, like paddleboard and kayaks. But a few years back, after a particularly uh, energetic and um, strenuous and important season of the church, uh, Mountain had been invited to lead this national gathering called the North, North American Christian Convention. And I was asked to be the president. And all of Mountain jumped in to help with it. And we launched a new campus. And we were doing a big old thing called Cannonball. And as a sort of way to go, you made it. You crossed the finish line. Here's an act of goodwill. The elders of this church passed a hat. And uh, they, they invested and bought me a little sailboat and sent it up to the cabin. And we've had so much fun with that little thing. It's a, it's a called a um, sunfish sailboat. You might know it. Single sail, real simple. Here's a picture of Carl and I on that boat right out in front of our dock, just kind of sailing around. That's, uh, I, I'm not an expert sailor, but, I, but I've just learned a little bit about it, and, and it's so much fun, and uh, we enjoyed doing some of that. Well, one of the things about the sailboat is, um, you, you know, you've you got to gotta have some wind, and you've got to go with the wind. You're, you're familiar with how sailboats work, right? You've got to have some wind. You've got to go with the wind. The, the, the wind blows. You don't know where the wind's going to blow exactly, and you don't control that. But how you set your sails really determines where you go. And, and which direction the wind is going really has a lot to say about that. So last week, I, I'm... Um, I'm looking, it's, it's about 15 mile an hour winds. I don't know what that is in knots. I don't care. And uh, 
But it's a pretty breezy day, and I'm thinking, this is a good day, and vacation's winding down, so I'm going to get in that thing. And uh, I, I did, and um, let me just warn you ahead of time, um, there's no dramatic finish to this story. Um, okay, so I, I got in, and, and um, uh, I did with the, uh, I can't remember the fancy name for it, but when the wind comes right at your back, you just put the sail perpendicular to the boat, and it just catches you, and it, you go really fast. And, and it was so much fun. I was just flying, just kind of soaring through the water, going faster and faster and getting further and further away from the dock. It was so great. It kept going farther and farther and faster and faster. And then it dawns on me, I'm going farther and farther and faster and faster away from the dock, and I've got to figure out how to get home. Now, I'm not an expert skipper or captain by any means, but I have learned a couple of maneuvers. And, and the, 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 the way you got to eventually, you have to turn around. It's counterintuitive because the wind's blowing you that way, but you got to get that way. And there's a maneuver. You turn the bow directly into the wind. It's called, you got to come about. It's called tacking, where you turn into the wind. And it's kind of hairy, a little bit scary. You can flip the boat, but if you do it right and, and uh, execute it, you can turn the boat around almost directly back into the wind. Not directly into the wind, but pretty much. And I did it, and I made it home, and I'm alive, and here I am. So there you go. I told you it wasn't very dramatic. We're talking about race. The, these issues uh, of race are, are so, so vital, so, so important for us to think about. Some of us may not be convinced of that, but the truth is there are many strong winds that are forcefully blowing in our land and in our own hearts on this issue which are not taking us any place good. I, I, I doubt, I hope, I don't need to convince you of that. And maybe you, you saw, you know, even today, protesters in Milwaukee last night, gunshot fired uh, back at uh, police. They think it may be another racially oriented thing. Armed suspect fleeing, shot, killed. Riots, violence in the streets. I mean, we get a few encouraging moments here and there. We see the Olympics of all colors and the nations and the flags and everyone united. But it's a surface level thing. We know that behind, as soon as that, um, some of these nations that are competing together are actually at war uh, and struggling with each other in deep ethnic division. The new data suggests that some of the younger generations are as racist as the old ones. Really? Are you kidding me? Supremacy groups in this country are actually growing in number and membership. Anti-black prejudice is deepening among whites statistically. Anti-Hispanic prejudice is growing even as they become maybe our majority, a non-minority at some point. Anti-white sentiment is growing. Some want to honor our police and some yesterday I read in, in the Bel Air patch that uh, uh, an officer was in line to get fast food and the person across the counter said, oh, we don't serve your kind here. Each of us has to decide which way we're going to set our sails because there's some winds blowing, strong winds. And you've got to decide which way you're going to go. Do we go along with the prevailing winds or... What if we were to come about and as God's people take our primary tack from the Spirit of God, from the wind, if you will, of God's own breath on the matter. But I'd like us to look today a little bit about what does God really have to say about this because I'm concerned that sometimes we don't really care 
what God says about these issues. Because we're so interested in perpetuating the opinions we already have. And if anyone challenges it, even God, we're not particularly interested. But it's time for God's people to care what God has to say about it. We want to talk just a little bit about what Mountain's doing about it. And I want to ask you what you might do about it in the midst of the prevailing winds. Because I hope I can convince us of what you're already convinced of, that change is needed. You know, in the Bible, the word for spirit in both Old Testament and New Testament, literally, it's just the word wind, breath. What if we could catch the wind of the direction of the Spirit of God on this, which would mean turning against the gale force winds of separation and fear and mistrust and anger and growing sadness on this issue. What are some of the strong winds? Well, you know what? Some of the strong winds that are blowing against, I have experienced uh, so many of these in my own life. Still do. I bet you do too. Some of the strong winds that we experience on this that keep us from following and flowing with the direction the Spirit of God would have you flow in your life on this. You know what they are? Let me tell you one of them. One of them is that we just, sometimes we just stubbornly resist. We just dig in and we say, I'm not going to change. I'm not interested in hearing a different point of view because we have it all figured out. We're so firmly fixed in our minds and the things that we heard from our families, the things that our tribes or that we grew up in reinforced in us, the sort of experiences that have happened to us that we now generalize to a whole group of people and harbor deeply in our hearts sometimes. We just, those things, we're just not interested. We don't want to be bothered by new information, even if that information comes from the heart and the breath and the wind of God himself. A young girl, you know how teenage girls can be such smart, Alex? Sometimes they provide a very necessary voice, as it did for one man who was reacting to something on the news and uh, made a comment, and his teenage daughter says, Dad, you're a racist. (laughs) He said, I don't have a racist bone in my body, but, and he went on to explain why he was so upset. And she said, no, 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 Dad, you've learned not to express it publicly. But you're a living room racist. But I think that gets to the heart of something. Where we have learned somehow in our society, you know, to hold our opinions privately, but they're just as strong sometimes. And this is that first wind that runs against us where we stubbornly resist some change and harbor attitudes and dismiss facts and don't want to be bothered. We just kind of keep listening to the same channel of news and the same Facebook friends on and on and on. And that, I I hope... The parts of us that have the tendency to follow with that wind of unchanging, stubborn resistance to this will be somewhat uncomfortable. I don't want to offend anyone, but in another sense, I feel like maybe God wants to challenge all of us to break something loose in us, to be able to say each of us to the God today, if there's anything in me that's not of you and I'm not flowing with the the direction of your spirit on this issue, would you reveal that to me? Otherwise, we'll just continue the same course, sailing in the same direction. Another wind that I've struggled with is to naively deny that there is a problem. Because I so badly want everyone to get along. I want to badly, I just so desperately want to believe we've just come so far on this issue. You know, my kid goes to a school and he's got all kind of friends with, you know, last names I can't pronounce and skin colors, I don't even know what they are. And it's like, oh, it's great. You know, the world's just coming together. We've come so far, but despite our desire to feel good about this and the desire we all maybe want to say is, I'm not racist. And, you know, okay. But, but, it, but if you say that, and, and it's a denial of a very real issue that still is very much alive. And even to say it 
if you say it and you can't show me close friends of yours that you're investing in a relationship who don't look like you, then you're probably part of the problem. And I've, I've come to see that, believe that deeply, and that may be news to you, but I think it's true. Some blacks don't want to believe there's a problem anymore because it's too messy or hurtful. Some minorities feel that way. Some whites don't want to feel guilty. Millennials look around and say, what's the problem? We all just get along everywhere we go. But still there is this deep-seated issue. Don't kid yourself. Racism's not dead. And if we don't acknowledge there's an issue to talk about and some change needed, for heaven's sake, we'll just keep blowing with the same winds. Another, another wind that blows in, in my life and probably in yours is just that we, we have the tendency to just fearfully freeze up on this. I mean, for crying out loud, who are we going to offend next, right? You can't even use common sense anymore. You can't say this. You can't say that. Look out. Politically correctness. You're going to step on someone's toes. And everybody feels like I can't say anything or do anything. But even to talk that way then offends some others who feel like it's extremely insensitive that you feel that way. And so it just gets to be very touchy. This mascot's no longer allowed, and you know, this, this, uh, you know, someone was saying, I was just, I was whistling Dixie the other day, and someone pointed out to me what that song represents. And, and, and I thought, are you kidding me? And then the fact that I said that offended them further. Someone says, if a cop pulls you over, do what he says, and others say, you don't understand. We look at these things through very, very different lenses, and so we can all just agree, can we just agree not to talk about it at all? Shove it under the rug, so we just kind of get polite and shake hands, but we never really get anywhere of substance on the issue. Friends, for God's people, not talking about it's not an option. Not according to the Scriptures and to the heart of God. We want our heart to flow with the breezes of the Spirit of God, which means we're going to have to talk about this. Another wind that blows so strongly and pulls us along in the direction that's not good is, is just so we outwardly blame. We, we, we recognize the issue, but we begin to see some of the sources that we feel are the problem, and we point to them and say, that's the problem. I mean, it, it's Obama has made it worse. He's it, so much worse since he's been in office. It's the Democrats. It's the liberals. It's the Republicans. It's the cops. It's the white supremacists. It's the angry blacks. They just need to get over it. It's the Hispanics. It's the Latinos. It's the Asians. It, it, you know, it's the educational system that are, that are problematic. It's whites who won't repent. It's minorities who keep telling me I need to repent when I didn't do anything. It, it's the criminal justice system. It's the crazy incarceration. It's the unfair um, poverty cycle that's perpetuated. It's the erosion of the family with more minorities growing up without father figures, so they repeat the cycle. It's affirmative action. That's where we went wrong. It's bad laws or laws that came too late or government that just plays along. And when someone walks into a church meeting and shoots a bunch of folk at a prayer meeting in Charleston, Carolina, we say it's villains like that, hate-filled mongers like that who are the real problem. And all of it is just one more way that we can acknowledge these very real issues and yet... Avoid looking at ourselves and maybe even convincing ourselves that we're not part of the problem. And that's why some of us don't feel a responsibility to be part of the solution. Because after all, it's all these other things that are part of the, are the real problem. And I just want to help us see today. I've been wrecked over this issue in the last several years. And, and I am absolutely convinced that if you're a follower of Christ... You are called to be part of the solution. Absolutely are. 
And outwardly blaming as our primary response doesn't get us anywhere. It just blows us along with the same breezes. But turning into the wind and blowing with the wind of God's Spirit will invite us to to look inside and say, God, look inside me. And it will invite us to listen to God for what He would want in your life and to listen to someone else who's not like you. And we haven't done enough of either of those, listening to God and listening to each other. These are strong winds. Winds that would keep us from believing we're part of the problem. And therefore not being part of the solution. And the bad news is it's, a, it's not a race problem. It's a human race problem. It's all of us. The sort of bad news is it's not really a skin problem at all. It's a sin problem. But the good news is God knows what to do with sin problems. He has a solution for that. As we struggle to turn against the winds of the times and sail with the winds of God's Spirit, we have to remember when you come about in a boat, it takes a little more energy than just maintaining status quo. It was sort of fun just sailing away from home, but it started down on me, this isn't going to end well if I don't do something. So we're calling this series Under Our Skin. We stole the title from a book by Benjamin Watson. He's a great guy. He's um, a pro football player. He used to play for the, the uh, uh, Patriots and then the Saints. And now he's been drafted by, what's that team? Where's purple? Uh, oh, the, uh, the Ravens. Yeah, he plays for the Ravens now. And uh, we wanted him to be here. We, uh, he apparently works weekends, couldn't get here. So we would love to get him in. But I love the title because think of the entendre there with that title, Under Our Skin. We know that under our skin we're all the same God's creatures. We know that intellectually, but yet look how much this issue gets under our skin. Riles us up, frustrates us. I mean, I just mentioned Michael Brown, Darren Wilson, Ferguson, indictment, non-indictment, and all of a sudden we have all kinds of emotion under our skin. Immigration, cops, cop killers, killer cops. I, I mentioned words like these and... And they they become very, very volatile. And it gets under our skin. And we can begin to feel at the end of the day like, is there any hope? You know, God's people in the Old Testament got to that same place where, where they were just wondering, is there hope? I love this phrase in Jeremiah 8 because it really describes the situation maybe we feel as well. We hoped for peace, but no good has come. We long for a time of healing, but there's only more terror. Sounds like it describes our, our time. It goes on to talk about, how is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no hope? Is there no healing for the wound of my people? In verse uh, chapter 30, God says, actually, he says, no, you're stuck. It's hopeless. But then God comes through in Jeremiah 33, 6 and gives words for us as well to say, nevertheless, there's the come about. Nevertheless, I will bring healing to you and I will heal my people. And I submit to you that if there's movement forward on this, let's not wait on the government or the educational system to figure this out. How's that been working for us? Healing comes from God and it means it starts within the house of God. And that's us. The answer lies deep within, under our skin, at the deep places of the heart where sometimes we're hesitant to allow our faith to penetrate. But until it does, we keep sailing the direction we're sailing. At the deepest levels of the human heart where we're confronted by Jesus and His radical love and His vision not only for our personal life but for the kind of community and the kind of humanity He envisions until we get there. 
nothing changes. Until we understand that Jesus didn't die on the cross just to stamp your ticket to heaven so we could bring a few other people on earth to heaven, but, so that, but He died on the cross so that He could not only put your ticket to heaven, but so that He could create a people, draw us into relationship with Himself and others so that we could not only bring a few people on earth to heaven, but so that we could bring heaven to earth in a new community that would model what the power of Jesus looks like in life every day. That's what it looks like to turn about and to embrace the new winds. I hope we can inform our minds a little bit, that we can conform our hearts to the heart of God, that we can transform our actions. And honestly, the way to do that is just to to move ahead with the Word of God. I just want to bombard you with the Word of God for a little bit. It doesn't matter what my opinion is on this, folks. And I don't care what your opinion is. That's why I don't read your Facebook posts. I don't care what you have to say about it, about your opinion, about the solution. But I, 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 think, I think we want to hear from the Word of God and take as our formation primarily God's heart on this issue. I'm concerned that the church is so primarily affixed in their political or their family viewpoint, what Uncle Louis always said, that even if God's very word challenges it, we don't respond. And we need to change that. And so I just want to help you grasp for a moment a little bit of the power of the Word of God on this and let it seep into our hearts for a moment. And to begin, we we can just look at the last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation pictures our future. Close your eyes if you need to, to picture this is a community that God says, this is what my church looks like when it's finally complete, when it's working right, when when all of the pain and trouble and trauma of this world is over. You want to know what it looks like? It looks like Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. And, And John the Revelator, he says, after this I looked and saw there was a great multitude, there's a whole lot of people in God's church. No one could even number them. And guess what? They were from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing there together before the the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with the same white robes. The the thing that was important was not their skin or their sin. It was the, the fact that they were pure before the Lord. And they were waving their palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, one voice, Salvation belongs to our God, not your God, my God. No, our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, that's Jesus. What a beautiful picture. And friends, the church today, your job and mine is to reverse engineer to that. To say that's where we're going to go. How are we going to back up and get there? So we can visibly demonstrate some of that now. As the prayer says, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, friends, that's what heaven looks like. It needs to look like that more now here. And that starts with us. I got contacted by a, a friend of mine. She's kind of crazy. She, uh, she's going to the Burning Man Festival or conference. Does anybody know what the Burning Man thing is? Raise your hand if you do. We've got a few hippies in here that keep track with that. Uh, oh, my goodness. This is a crazy festival out in Nevada. I think it's next week or the week after. It, it, I don't know if it's a festival. It's a gathering. It's like 
all these people come together and they form this kind of countercultural little temporary community. They put up tents in the middle of the desert and they live by special rules and there's no money exchanged and they have these radical principles like radical inclusion is one of them. Everyone is welcome. You come together. I don't know. They beat a drum. I don't know what they do. But, and then at the end, they burn the little thing in effigy of the man, you know, that are anti-institutional and all this stuff. And I hear that, you know, it's like 70,000 people are going to show up for this thing. To, you know, for 110 degree heat to eat dust for a week together. And part of me is like, okay, whatever. I mean, it sounds interesting. Not enough to actually do it, but it sounds interesting to me. But then I think about it more and it sounds actually really, really cool in a, in a sense. I, I get it, I should say. I understand the appeal because there's a part of every single one of us that wonders and longs for that. What if there were a place that was different, that went against the prevailing winds of culture? What if we could create a little sub countercultural alien people that, that just sort of followed a different way on the craziness of this world and we just showed that we could live with special principles and live in harmony listen friends burning man's going to last a few days and it's not going to change the world but the church of jesus christ is exactly that kind of countercultural community that we're called into to live according to some very different radical principles in the world is showing us there is such a place as that it's god's people and we're at our best it's way better than a bunch of hippies in the desert. John 3.16 For God so loved the what? The world. The world means everyone. That He gave His Son so that who? Everyone. Whoever would believe in Him. That was radical news. When they heard that, the Jews thought, What? He just said that God so loved the whole world. I thought he loved us. I thought we were the chosen people. And it was God's way of saying, no, no, no. This, this Jesus mission is to bring everyone on board. Anyone now who believes comes in. John 17, Jesus prays. He says, I pray that all of them, Father, would be what? One. One. Just as you are in me and I am in you. A sort of intricate oneness. May they be brought to complete unity. May the people of God be brought together. Why? So the world will know that you sent me. Maybe the reason the world isn't more attracted to Jesus when he's high and lifted up is because of the way we treat each other. He says, when we come together, that's how people will know the Lord sent Jesus and be drawn to him and believe that God loves them too. You know, I got to hang out with Bob Goff a little bit more this summer at a couple of conferences. Heard him like three times. The guy's a complete whack job, but he says a lot of great stuff. And, you know, one of the things he said, he says, um, you know what? He says, just love everybody all the time. Love everybody all the time. And start with the people who creep you out. And that's the message of the New Testament. Because this struggling church was hesitant to come together with people that creeped them out, but yet the gospel kept pushing and Jesus' death on the cross was precisely for that reason. One of the key concepts of the gospel is the idea of reconciliation. The Bible talks about how Jesus died in order to produce reconciliation. It means people who are supposed to be or used to be enemies become friends. And that's, there's almost nothing more powerful than that force in the world. What if enemies could be friends because of and in the name of Jesus? If we could walk in each other's shoes enough to come into the place of listening and understanding to the place where we would, would produce deep friendships and real listening. What if enemies could become friends? 
The New Testament um, book of Ephesians is a powerful one because it was written in a, in a very racially tense environment. It was written to a society that was rife with ethnic division. Jews and Gentiles primarily were at extreme odds with each other. Asians, Africans, Greeks, Romans, barbarians, rich, poor, all divided out in their ghettos and society. And yet there were these little countercultural communities and it wasn't the Burning Man group. It was the Church of Jesus Christ that was gathering together and everyone from those different groups were together in that little church. Now, some of the lingering winds of their division crept into the church a little bit. And so the book of Ephesians is written to help them see the beautiful power of what can be different in the church. Let these words sink into your heart as it describes our own opportunity in the midst of deep racial tension. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations, and he made what? Peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. So together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility to each other was put to death. The violence done toward Jesus is so that we don't have to do violence to each other anymore. When former friend, enemies become friends because of the power of what he's done on the cross, when the blood of Jesus sprinkles down off of the cross and completely covers the color line, that turns heads. And people notice, and Jesus is lifted up, and that's different, and our country is hungry for that. And when we just abide by political correctness, that does not change a thing. It teaches us to sort of behave politely on the surface level. It teaches us we can occupy the same space, but really we can still be a million miles apart from each other. And the gospel isn't interested in political correctness. And neither am I, and neither should you be. We're interested in breaking down the dividing wall of hostility and changing not at the skin level, but at the sin level, the heart level, Romans 15, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ. It has to start with us, folks. Then all of you can join together with one voice, not your voice shouting over this voice, not your post getting the, you know, the, the most, you know, one voice not expressing our opinion and thought, but giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as our hope. Verse 7, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. What about accepting people that you don't like? What about accepting people we're supposed to be enemies with? That's the whole point. 
so that God will be given glory. Remember, Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show them that God is true. So he loved you, but he also loved the people you don't love. He came also so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Galatians 3, verse 27. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. We have matching choir robes now. We're all in the same choir. And it's like putting on new clothes. And therefore, in Christ, there is no longer the differences that divide us. Jew or Gentile. Those are ethnocentrism breaks. Slave or free. Classism is dead in the church of Jesus Christ. Male and female. Sexism is dead in the church of Jesus Christ by God's design. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I hope your heart aches and longs for that. Hope you believe that you don't have to go to the desert to experience some radical countercultural community. You can do it in your own life, in your own family, in your own small group, and you can do it every week when we gather here at what God is making Mountain in to be a more and more multi-ethnic church. I experienced something about this, we're all one in Christ here at Mountain, just in sort of one visible little snapshot way I'll share with you. A man approached me out here in the commons who was visibly moved. African-American man. He told me briefly some of his story. His great-grandfather was a slave. Abused terrible atrocities and some of the things in their family. Those stories they told to keep that part of their heritage alive. And he said his dad grew up in the 40s and 50s in America that spoke of equal opportunity, but it really wasn't his experience at all. He was bullied. He was chased. He was treated unfairly because of his color. Rented a house over the phone and showed up when they saw he was black. They raised the price and didn't give it to him. That kind of thing. Then those experiences over a period of years again and again and again kind of colored his opinion. And he says, you know, I, he passed that on to me. He taught me not to trust white people, just to watch out for myself, to be careful. And I harbored that in my heart. And I still have all these years. And then... He says, when I was pulled over and treated unfairly by a police officer, well-meaning, but you know, just be, I felt it was profiling. He says, and when I was called the N-word at work, you know, in a demeaning and dehumanizing way, it just threw me all the way back to my great-grandfather again. And I thought, really? Is this where we are? And it made me fearful. It made me sad. And then it made me angry. And he says, but, but, but at Mountain, I felt God drawing me to him. And there he began to work on the deep places of my heart. And I made friends, real friends, good friends, deep friends. And some of them, by the providence of God, were white. And it wrecked me. It challenged me. It changed me because it exploded my paradigm. And it challenged some of the things I wanted to hold on to and believe about all white people. And I could no longer live with my comfortable perceptions. And my friend, my, my closest friend who was white, was so filled with prejudice, he says he didn't even know it. And we were able to help each other and talk honestly about things that no one's allowed to talk about. To ask what we didn't understand and to, to move to a place where we could debunk some of the myths and just grow closer in relationship. And then he says to me, he says, Ben, I didn't want to like you. I said, well, I've heard that before. He says, but God's love came through my friend. God's love came through my friend and your words and the openness of this church. And he says, you know what? He says, he just reached out, gave me a big old hug. He says, you're a white guy and I love you. <laughs> and I don't pretend to understand everything that he meant and what that meant for him. But I do understand on another level what I think it meant. It, it, was, it was a little snapshot of the breaking down of the dividing wall of hostility that has tremendous power. It's not a feel-good moment, friends. That's actually a picture of what changes the world. And we need more of that. We need the gospel in a changed heart. 
Can I give you some homework? Would you go read Colossians chapter 3? 17 verses? Read it every day this week if you would. Colossians chapter 3. The first 17 verses. And let God, let His Word dwell richly in your heart. If we're going to inform our minds to what the Bible actually says, if we're going to conform our heart to the direction and the wind of God's Spirit, if we're going to transform our actions, let me just leave you with a couple things. A couple things we can all do in addition to reading Colossians chapter 3. Um, first, I'm going to partner with you in these, in these things to turn into the wind on this, try to follow God's Spirit. Number one, would you pursue personal relationships with people who are different than you? As a Christ follower, pursue intentionally, invest in people that aren't just like you. Maybe their skin color or their age or their perception. They're the people who creep you out. This is not just a good idea or diversity training, friends. This is actually the nature and essence of what the good news of Jesus has called us to do and be because that's the vision of where we're going in heaven. And we need to bring that heaven on earth and it won't start until you and I are more intentional about personal relationships. And if you're not pursuing or investing, you can't name for me the name of someone that you're in a relationship now and actively working on understanding each other, then you're not really part of the solution at this moment. You may think I'm not part of the problem, but if you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. And that's convicting me, and I hope it convicts you. And in those relationships, we need to just listen more and learn more. The point isn't for you to primarily express your point of view. If you want to hear points of view, just go to Facebook. It's all over the place. But friendship is different where we show hospitality, we build bridges, and we get past racism to gracism. And focus on the serenity prayer, particularly that one verse that says, Lord, help me to seek not so much to be understood as to understand. Personal relationship. Second, would you be a leader in your circle of friends and family on this issue? Would you be willing to lead because leadership is needed? Be bold. When remarks are made that are kind of subtly or overtly prejudiced or deeply racist, speak up. Don't argue or get ugly, but offer your perspective. I mean, you can go along and just be silent and wilt and wither and perpetuate the garbage that's been passed down through generations. Sure, you can do that. Be part of the problem if you want to. Or you can find God-inspired ways infused and influenced by Colossians 3, to come through your mouth where you speak up in bold ways, where you might say something as simple as, you know, I actually have a lot of, I have friends who are Asian, and what you're saying doesn't really match with my experience, but I don't think you're being fair there. That would be, that would be taking a wind in another direction. In our homes, in our families, let's be mindful. Because we know, we don't have to be politically correct in our families, and that's where sometimes the truth of how we really feel comes out. You know, racism is often hereditary. It runs in families. You get it from your family. All of us do, most of the time. And it's passed in family groups and like-minded groups and tribes where toxic thinking is supported because it goes unchallenged. And it's of the devil. It's not of God. And the reason you should be a change agent in your family and friends 
is not because racism is an unfortunate social ill, not because it's, it's, it's politically incorrect anymore to do it, but because it's evil and it blows in the exact opposite direction of the heart of God for your life and what happens inside of you and for what happens in human community. So realize that your children are taking their cues from you. They're watching you. When stuff comes on the news, another shooting, another indictment or non-indictment, how you react, how you are when things get under your skin, how fair or unfair or you know, whatever, just be aware that you're modeling and setting the track for the next 40 years. And before you regurgitate something that was just passed on to you, put your mind with the mind of Christ on the things above and try to have understanding of His kingdom and His will. And young people, you may be around old people who don't get it, and you may have to be the one to lead us out of this. So be bold, be courageous, come about. Turn into the wind at the family table if you need to. Be gentle but firm, kind, resolute, calm, always Christ-centered, but lead. Because it's in our homes and our personal relationships where racism starts, and it's it's the place where it's going to stop. And third, personal family, would you invest in mountains vision that God has given us we feel a humble vision that we didn't really invent we just just we feel called and compelled God's been changing our church will you invest in God's vision for a Jesus centered gospel driven disciple making love God love people serve the world multi-ethnic church of lots of different people who are all here look around look around you look around you at the Dorcas next to you look to the goofy people behind you you know they may have different skin color we've got some Greeks we've got actually just maybe one Greek but we've got we've got people all over all over the map and God just brought us together here you know, as, as, as beggars looking for bread, and the most important thing about us is our sin problem, not our skin problem. And hallelujah, Jesus has done something about our sin problem. That's what brings us together and express that unity, love that unity, talk to the community about, you know what, you're welcome here because Jesus says so. Let's make this place the kind of place that Jesus envisioned when he dreamt up the church in the first place. So invest in it. Make your groups colorful, old and young and black and white and Asian and Latino and men and women. And let, let's, let's intentionally aim for the picture that Jesus intends for the church. Could I just get you to stand up for a minute as we close? You know, my daughter, Ellie, she uh, came up with this terrible idea a while back that every time we pray around the family table, we have to hold hands. So we all roll our eyes, wait, something to pray, said, oh, no, no, she, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so we hold hands. I got to admit, there's days I really don't want to do that. I don't know, maybe I'm just grouchy. It seems stupid. But you know, there's something about that physical act that connects with my heart. It softens me and makes my attitude more real. It's a reminder that we are family, not just sort of family. And scriptures say that people like us, random it may seem to the world, but people like us who found our hope in Jesus Christ, we're not just people who happen to stumble in and park in the same parking lot and walk into the same auditorium. No, 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 no. The Bible says we're one. That because of the blood of Jesus, we've been brought together. We're not just strangers passing on the street. We're enemies who can become friends. So we're family. 
So some of you are freaked out about this, but you're right. I'm going to ask you to join hands if you want to. You don't have to. But would you? Maybe you just reach out and grab a hand. I mean, some of them, you, you, you feel, just feel that hand. Okay, there's some warts on some of them. There's some hairy knuckles. Some palms are sweaty. Okay, you got, you got all kinds of stuff going on. Some people think it's a date. Yeah, I, I realize. I know it's awkward. I know it's tough. Grab one, two, three. I don't care how many hands you grab, but just join on. This, this is us. And I don't mean this as a feel-good moment. I don't mean this as a sentimental sort of experiment. Not just because touch is good and bonding and all of that stuff. I'm just saying the Bible says we're one. And we've got to start someplace with just getting beyond politeness. Engaging at a level that's real because that's the only thing that the world will notice. So we can start by at least touching somebody. And becoming the body of Christ. Because in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek. Slave nor free. Male nor female. In this place. It's different. It's got to be different. It's got to start with you. It's got to start with me. There is no longer Edgewood campus, Bel Air campus, Mountain Road campus. There's no black, white, Asian, Latino, Indian, Arab. No, 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 no. We're all one in Christ Jesus. No hipsters and oldsters and millennials and boomers and busters primarily. No, no. No Apple or Android. No introvert, extrovert. You know? No Republicans or Democrats. No Ravens or, or Patriots or... or Steelers for all our all our Viking I, I, all are one in Christ. <laughs> so, friend, hold on, because the winds are strong. Someone somewhere has to turn into the wind and go with the wind of God's spirit. And God's word says it's supposed to be you and it's supposed to be me. So let's do it. Let's pray. God, bless us, help us, humble us, help us to hear you, listen to you. We can't do this. Government cannot do this. Education can't do this. God, but you can. We need you. So change us from the inside out, Lord, under our skin where it matters most. In the name of Jesus' powerful strength, we pray. Amen.